Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, Anthony and Corey here. Just uh, hello, hello. Just finished wrapping up the third episode of the podcast. What do you think, Corey? That's pretty good. Um, short, sweet, for sure. Uh, a lot of good info in there. Yeah, we had John Child, one of the managing partners here at First Equity, uh, talking about something that a lot of people maybe have not given consideration to before, which is passive real estate investing through a fund or a syndication. And um, yeah, a lot of good pointers and tips in there if that's something that piques your interest. Yeah, and we did. It was a really heavily focused on. I wouldn't say our fund, but funds like ours and investing in those in general. But um, there's there's so many different ways to passively invest in real estate out there. Um, so I think it's a good place to start, but you know, it's definitely, I think something that people should really explore and maybe instead of sticking their money in stock market bonds, you know, the typical way of doing things, um, there's definitely a safer way to, to park your money. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are at one of two extremes. Either you don't do anything involved with real estate or you're heavily involved and you own properties and you're doing flips. And for a lot of people who maybe have a nine to five, um, and have a lot of money in their retirement accounts that they want to put to work it's just it's not sensible for them to be a full-time flipper or you know they just can't manage projects like that so this is a good alternative to somebody who like you said might not want to be in the stock market but also doesn't have time to be a full-time investor yeah yeah i think uh, i think everyone's gonna really enjoy this episode yeah so um without further ado we'll we'll get right into it and uh here's john child and uh enjoy Welcome to episode three of the First Equity Funding Real Estate Podcast. As, as always, I'm Anthony Pamiato with Corey Anderson. And uh, special guest today, uh, one of the managing partners of First Equity, a.k.a. our boss, John, John Child. John, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to it. So I, I guess before we get into our topic today, which is um, passive real estate investing, um, let's talk a little bit about first equity because uh, we get this question a lot. How did how'd you guys get into the hard money space? And you want to tell us maybe kind of how where your background was and how we ended up where we are now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, my background is really more of a Wall Street background. Um, working at Morgan Stanley, um, most of my career I was in equity derivatives. But um, the way I got involved in the mortgage space and real estate space was, uh, you know, 10 years or so ago and back during the mortgage crisis. Um, I partnered up with Christian and Jared, who were the owners of First Equity Mortgage. And the way we started was we were purchasing um, residential, uh, non-performing residential whole loans. So it was really an interesting space at the time. These notes were trading at really severe discounts. And uh, these guys had approached me initially as an investor, and I was just going to put some money in to, to do it. And then I said, this is kind of interesting. Things got really ugly on Wall Street, and I decided to just you know join these guys. And we essentially started a fund with friends and family money, which came to be known as First Equity Capital. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's how we got started, really, just buying NPLs at discounts in mini bulk. From there, we ended up taking properties over, um, often as REO, and that's where we kind of started cutting our teeth on the straight real estate side of things, where we fix these properties up and then, and then kind of sell them. Right. And I think a lot of people who have worked with us don't really know that until they actually do do a loan with us, that we have experience really from all sides of this, you know, from the finance side, obviously with the Wall Street background, from the fix and flip side, you've done them yourself. Um, so I think as a company that, you know, some of your experience, it kind of makes us pretty well rounded. Yeah, you're right, Anthony. I think the, the fact that we have our own construction company, that we've done a lot of fix flipping ourselves, that we've kind of bought, you know, distressed mortgages in the secondary market and dealt with borrowers and foreclosures and bankruptcies and all those various things gives us a print. And then the fact that we've been conventional lenders for so long um, 
really gives us, I call it like a 360 degree view where we've kind of seen all aspects of the business. Sure. And um, I think it's really worked out well for us. We've made a lot of the mistakes in our past life and, you know, we've lost money on fixed flips like uh, some of our borrowers do or are gone, unfortunately. But uh, it really helps us, you know, see the, the business from the borrower's point of view. Yeah. And, um, you know, like we have the ability, I know we've done it before where we'll get a scope of work and we can look at it in two seconds. And just with you know, our experience and knowledge, we say this is out of line or this is not what it's going to cost. And I think that provides a lot of value to borrowers. Um, well, before we move forward, I was going to ask, like, how was the foreclosure process? Like, how was that time? I guess, I'll tell you. Yeah. Well, back when we were doing it, it was, it's a, it was a nightmare. Yeah. Um, the, what happened is New Jersey's a judicial foreclosure state. So they got flooded with foreclosures, you know, when the mortgage price was unfolding. So, I mean, things were just stuck in the, in the judicial, in the court system for, it would take on average close to two years to just to wow. foreclose on somebody. So it, that's one of the reasons New Jersey was trading at such a big discount. Um, so, yeah, and nowadays, though, it's, it's much, much better for a couple of reasons. They've streamlined it a little bit and, and the backlog has gotten cleared up. So now it's more like an eight to 12 month process to do a foreclosure. If I'm not mistaken, we're one of the biggest foreclosure states in the country, right? Yeah, for a number of years after 08, we had one of the largest amount of foreclosures. Again, again, I think it's because of the fact that, well, we're a densely populated state, even though we're a smaller state, but also just that um, there were so many of them in the court system, whereas in a lot of other states that are non-judicial, in other words, you don't have to go through the court system to foreclose, you can do it a lot quicker and you can move right. them through the pipeline. They become you know, REO or get sold into investors' hands quicker and helps clear out the, the backlog faster. So you started foreclosing on some of these these notes, um, and then I guess started doing some fix and flips yourself. And I guess it was at that point you guys kind of realized that there was kind of a void in the market for what you thought would be a good out, uh, outlet for hard money. And what year was that? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, we, we started up an institutional relationship with a, with a group called Javelin Capital based out of Omaha. Not a household name in, the, in this area but by any means. But we were using similar to kind of hard money where we were paying a fairly high advance rate to our institutional partner and then we were splitting profits. Um, but yeah, as we were out there doing this, we started to realize, you know, with also having our conventional lending hat on that, you know, banks just won't lend to these type of investors on these types of properties. And for really no good reason, there was a real void in the market. You know, banks just don't want to lend on properties that are in district repair and need rehab and sure. you know a lot of our borrowers quite frankly are self-employed whether they're realtors or contractors and they're not showing a lot of income you know on the book so banks like they look at it and go hey i don't right. want to i don't want to touch this but if you really take a step back and look at it and you say why wouldn't we lend to this guy he's got decent credit he's got the experience so what if the house needs a little bit of work you know this guy can these guys can do it right and we're lending at a reasonable pricing where we're compensated for the risk we're taking and we do it at a, at a loan to value that works for us, but also, you know, helps the, the investors out. So I guess that's kind of how first equity funding was born. And that was in like 2013-ish, I believe. We for, uh, the, the hard money, I don't think we were really doing until like 2015. Okay. So we've been, we may have been doing a few as late as that, Corey, but it would have been like really more one-off. But, you know, since we started our fund about, you know, officially launched it like 16 months ago, mm -hmm. uh, back in March of 17 is where things have really been kind of picking up. And that first equity, and that really segues into today's topic, which is passive real estate investing. And it seems like fix and flip has just gotten that much more popular month over month, year over year for the past five years. And now everybody wants to get into flipping. Um, a lot of people learn it's not quite as easy as it sounds. It's it's a job, and there's a, listen, you can make a lot of money, you can do very well, but there's a lot of work involved in it. Um, 
And so you want to talk about maybe how just some investors, they go from not being involved in real estate at all to thinking they have to become a flipper to make money. And there's a nice middle ground called passive investing. I mean, you think it's just the case that a lot of people don't know that there's opportunities out there somewhere in the middle? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, people, you're right. Fixed flipping is so popular these days. Whether it's you know partly because of HGTV or you know things were trading at such discount. There were so many properties you know going back to 08. Um, but yeah, everybody thinks they can be the next flipper, and it, and it, it's a tough game. You know, we've like I said, we've done it. It's, first of all, finding the good opportunity is tough. Executing it, you know, getting the work done on a timely basis at a good price. You know, then you got to do all you have the marketing and the resale risk and all that type of stuff. So yeah, it, it, there's a lot of ways that you can get tripped up or stumble. Um, it's not the easiest game in the world. Um, but so yeah, I think there are other ways to get exposure to real estate and, and in a much more diversified way so you don't have all your eggs in one basket. But I think what you notice, like a lot of funds out there are like these large private equity funds. And it's not easy for, you know, regular Joe type guy that wants to put, you know, 50 or 100 grand to work. A lot of these guys have like a million dollar minimum investment, things like, things right. like that. It's really more of an institutional world not an individual, you know, mom and pop type arrangement. But with a fund like ours, first equity funding, it's kind of interesting. You know, we, we do a lot of the work, do all the underwriting and, and create a diversified portfolio that investors can then come in and passively invest in. And, you know, obviously be pretty hands off. They, you know, we're very transparent in what, how we land, who we land to and what our mm -hmm. portfolio looks like. But, and you'd have to be comfortable with that, obviously. But uh, there's not a lot of work you can do and you can have your money put to work in the real estate market. Um, in short-term, relatively high-yielding uh, loan portfolio. And I know we're, I think I just read that we're now at the highest run-up of the stock market for consecutive years, like, ever. I think we're, we're on basically a 10-year bull run, right? I mean, yeah, we had, equities, so. we had a record last year. It's, it's been a little up and down this year. Well, that's a good point because I got the question before. I, I've actually, you know, I've talked about the fund to, to investors. If they, they ask about it, they're interested in passive investing. And I get the, oh, what happens with the market tanks? There's that risk. Yeah, it's a good question. I, that's the question I'd be asking as an investor, and, and it's probably the question I get most frequently when I'm talking to investors. And the, you know, the only answer I, I would say to that is, of course, there's always risk, there's always exposure. But with our fund, a couple things. One, the fact that you're lending such short-term paper, so you don't have a lot of long-term exposure, should give you a little bit of comfort. So, so that, you know, a lot of these loans will be rolling off in a 12-month time frame. Second, you know, we don't, you know, we actively trade our, our loans in the secondary market. So we're not sitting on a really large portfolio of loans at any one time. So mm -hmm. you don't, so if things get really dicey or ugly, we're not sitting on, you know, a 50, $100 million loan portfolio that we would then have to try to unwind into an ugly uh, market environment. So what we do is we're pretty careful with our risk and getting loans sold off of our books. We simply keep maybe a participation or a risk piece, but it's relatively small and they're not uh, cross, um, collateralize against the other loans in our portfolio. So that, that, you know, that's my answer to that question. And as far as selling loans off to the secondary market or, or trading <coughs> them on the me. secondary market, um, I think you mentioned that, it, that, that really juices returns anyway, right? So that's really a benefit to the investor. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, we, we think it's prudent to take advantage of that, the bid in the, in the secondary market, these large private equity funds that are looking for yield. Um, there's a lot of um, you know interest in these type of loans. So we have, there's no shortage of, of pretty large people out there, private equity hedge fund type players that reach out to us on a regular basis that want asking what, what kind of loans we have and what they can buy from us. We've whittled it down. You know, we have two or three preferred partners that we work with closely um, that we think um, do, you know, do the best pricing for us, so on and so forth. But yeah, by doing that, you know, we can kind of reinvest our capital. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we free up capital again. We originate sure. more loans, we sell out of them. We leave a little bit on the table, but we dramatically reduce our risk and, and we create a nice 
nice return for our uh, fund investors. And uh, one thing that is particularly appealing to investing in a fund that's focused on real estate, especially one where, say, it's on a smaller scale, maybe like first equity or somebody who's actually hands on with borrowers is there seems to be a little bit more control, right? We're the ones actually dictating who we're lending to and what markets we're lending. Whereas if you're buying equities or you just have your money in your 401k, you really don't have any control. I mean, do you think that's an advantage to maybe investing in, in this type of fund where, you know, you're, you're talking to the managing partner of First Equity. We're, we're the ones calling the shots in terms of where the money's going. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and to Corey's point earlier, what if things get a little dicey? Then we can just fairly quickly just stop originating entirely, curtail it, change our pricing, change our leverage. There's a lot of things we can do to, to manage the risk. And that's what my focus is and, and Mark Presto, our director of finance. So we're constantly looking at our loan portfolio and looking at the pricing metrics, um, the diversification with borrowers and geography and so on and so forth. But yes, we have that control. We can decide who we lend to, where we lend. Um, whenever we're doing a loan, we're always looking at the local real estate um, dynamics. Is, is it in a declining market, mm -hmm. you know, increasing market, things of that nature. But yeah, you have that control and, and that's huge. And yeah, and to your point, it's like, this is a nice way to diversify away from just a stock, traditional stock and bond markets. And this is not that closely correlated with the daily or in, in monthly moves in those markets. Um, obviously, we're tied to the broader economy. but. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a really good way to, to d diversify. And maybe we can get into this later, but the fact that you can actually invest your IRA money, self-direct some people that have an, a, an, you know, a retirement account into an investment like this. We're an approved right. self-directed IRA investment. And I, No, no, I was just gonna say, uh, talk about risk. I mean, what is more risky than betting on a 10-year bull run that's gonna keep going up? And that's kind of what I was getting at before, is like we've, had, we've done really good in the stock market for the past 10 years, and I would have imagined that's gonna change at some point. I mean, Obviously, as we know, the markets don't go straight up forever. So, you know, to be in something else aside from just equities, I think um, might be appealing to a lot of people. Yeah, that's exactly right. If you look at, you know, the, the return you get in the stock market or bond market to really get the kind of yield you're getting in, in this type of an investment, you have to really go out the risk curve and be in emerging markets, kind of high yield, junk type junk debt, bonds, right? yeah, or speculative stock, you know, you know, not, you know, S&P 500 or, or really... Dow 30 type stock. So the, the way to, and, and the relative volatility is certainly what we've seen since the fund started. There's been very little volatility, mm -hmm. luckily, because we had, we had so few uh, defaults or delinquencies. So I, I just think it's an interesting way to get a, a nice return. You know, we target a 12 to 15% return in the fund. Um, and, I, and I know other funds like us have similar yield metrics. Um, we're outperforming a little bit. You know, we, in our first 12 months, we did about a 19% plus return. So on a risk-adjusted basis, I think that's a really interesting return on, on secured loans. Um, not only that, I mean, I think I feel like investors get frustrated sometimes with lenders. Um, but I mean, there's a method to the madness. I'm correct if I'm wrong, but in this space, I mean, it's a really high focus on experience and also like after repair value margins, and it's it's a lot of thought goes into into these investments. Right. It's yeah. not so much just putting money out there hoping, okay, you know, hopefully they, they fix it. And get it's a very out. scientific and calculated lending process. Yeah, absolutely. We have a full underwriting process. We have an underwriting committee. But, yeah, we're looking at all those things. What type of experience does this person have? What's their rough credit profile? We know, you know, we don't underwrite to a specific credit score. We have a minimum. Um, it's just really kind of common sense underwriting. But does this deal make sense? Can this person execute on it? Um, and are they making enough money? Is there yeah. enough of a, of a profit in this deal? Because... One, because it's a it's a major risk factor for us. If there's not a lot that they, it would increase the default risk potential. But two, we want our borrowers to make money. You know, sure. We want them to have a good experience working with us. And we don't. Last thing we want to do is lend to people that are trying to do deals super tight that either 
don't make any money or, or lose money and, and kind of end up having a bad taste in their mouth through no fault of ours per se, but yeah. we like to try to help them vet the deal up front. And that's where, well. that's where the experience in the office comes from, is you have seen the deal, the money multiple, saying, listen, you know, there's just not enough profit there. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, one or two things go wrong and all of a sudden you, you could be losing money here. Yeah. So yeah, we try to point that out and sometimes the best loan is one that you just don't do for whatever reason. And I know and, we've come up against that as loan officers where maybe a different company could push a loan through because technically you can get it to fit the right boxes and, and make it work on paper. But I think it goes back to our experience as a company with all of our, our 360 degree view, as you put it, of the of the business that we just know this is a little bit too tight or this market's not strong enough for us to want to do this. And like you said, maybe the best loan is the one that you don't make sometimes. So I think that's something that we've, we've done pretty well um, with our borrowers so far. And I think our, you know, our, our performance has, has shown that. Yeah, we've been very, very fortunate. Our, our uh, like I said, our delinquencies are very, very small. We've never really had a full blown default yet, knock on wood. But uh, yeah, our loan officers, you guys, everybody does a really good job taking a long view in this space. You know, we want to be in this space for a long time. We want to be a preferred lender in this space, and we want to be partners with our borrowers so that they they keep coming back to us. So yeah, we we very much look at it that way. We're not short sighted in trying to just get a loan done or closed or whatever. Um, so I think that's really going to help us out in the, in the long run. So. Putting um, maybe first equities fund aside, just talking more generally about passive investing, who who do you think would be an ideal person for somebody to get involved with something like that in terms of, you know, I'm guessing it's somebody who's a full-time employee maybe who doesn't have time to do it themselves, but what, what, what should somebody be looking for if you think passive investing would be a good match for them? Yeah, I mean, like obviously, it starts with someone's financial position. What kind of, you know, where are they currently invested? What kind of, uh, you know, uh, capital do they have at their disposal? And it, you know, what kind of real estate exposure do you have? And if you don't have a lot of real estate exposure, other than maybe the, the home that you live in, um, and you're comfortable, you know, lending in in this in this market, um, that's the kind of person that I, I guess we'd be looking for. Someone that wants to diversify a little mm -hmm. bit, um, that is comfortable being um, in the real estate market. And is looking for a much better return on their money than they might have in, you know, some sort of a bond fund where you're getting, you know, three, four, five percent or less or something right. like that, you know. And in the commercial space, you can talk more to this, Anthony, but, you know, cap rates in the commercial space are extremely tight and low. Yeah. Are they, what, like five, six percent? I don't even know. Maybe a little bit. I mean, in parts of northern New Jersey, cap rates have gone <laughs> even below five percent in certain markets yeah. in the fours. And so, you know, if you're going to go out there and try to find deals yourself, it's my experience that it's it's just so difficult to find deals in, in today's market that a good option might be working with somebody who's a little bit more experienced and someone who's syndicating deals and, uh, and raising money for those deals because you just hitch your train to their wagon and next thing you know, you're getting, you know, maybe a preferred return of seven or eight percent, um, say in a multifamily deal plus, uh, you know, an average annual return of something like 10 or 11 percent. And all of a sudden you're not doing so bad and for and you're secured by real estate as opposed to being just in the stock market. So um, there's a lot of ways to do it passively. Um, and sometimes it makes actually more sense to do it with somebody who's that's their full time job is either right. doing hard money or buying whatever type of commercial real estate, as opposed to trying to do it yourself. And, you know, we've seen people get burned all the time, um, especially new investors who try to, you know, be cowboys and, and do it all themselves. So it's a good way to learn the business, too. Maybe if you want to do fix and flips at some point. Mm -hmm. And you kind of just want to be involved initially. It's not a bad idea to get involved with a fund uh, and then start branching out and doing some of the deals yourself. Yeah, or, or do a mix, right? Yeah. You know, I'm going to do a couple of fixed flips, but I'm also going to put some money passively into a fund that helps me diversify, you know. Right. And one of the things we try to do with our fund, and you know, and you should always look at whatever fund you're looking at is, you know, what are the 
exact terms of investing, you know, what's the lockup, when can you get your money out and things like that. And we try to make our fund appealing to a, to an investor. It's, it's a one year lockup, which is, you know, a lot of times you see more like a two, three year or even more lockup mm-hmm. of your money. And after that one year lockup, you can get monthly liquidity with 45 days notice. So in case you, you know, whatever, whether you have kids going to college or you're sure. doing active real estate investing and you want access to your money, <laughs> after a 12 month time frame, you can then give us notice and, and withdraw some of your money out of the fund. So it gives you some, some level of flexibility. And if somebody's looking to passively invest, um, especially in like whether it be a REIT or some type of real estate fund, uh, is there any like couple pitfalls that I guess you'd have them look out for? Well, you know, you want to look really closely whether whether it's a REIT, what is the real estate portfolio that I'm buying into, and in our case, you know, as, as a lender, who are we lending to, and what are we lending on? You know, I think that's the really important thing. So you'd want to look closely at what our underwriting criteria is and make sure you're comfortable with the, the risks that we're, that we're you know, taking mm-hmm. on as, as a fund. So, you know, what, what's our loan to value up front and, and as repaired and, and then, you know, what kind of pricing do we have in there? And obviously the, one of the really important things is what is the experience of the people behind the fund? Sure. And to Anthony's point earlier, I, I think you can have a little bit of a, a good comfort level with our team because we have such, such experience, um, you know, to myself and Mark on the financial risk side and, you know, Christian and Jared, um, you know, on the on the conventional and operational side and sales side, and then you know guys like you, Anthony and Corey, that are on our team that have experience in realty and do, you know, real doing multifamily homes and things of that nature. But yeah, so that's those are the things I'd be focusing on. What type what type of risk? And and I always like to look at a fund and go, in a really distressed scenario, what happens? Kind of what your question was earlier, Corey. You know, and if you look at our our fund across our whole portfolio, we're less than a sixty percent loan to as repaired value. So you can see there's a pretty big cushion of a roughly 40% if things go a little bad, we have a cushion to work through right. these loans and, and our collateral should support us. So just to piggyback that a little bit, if um, if you met a new investor who was interested in possibly putting money into a fund, what are some questions that if they asked you, you would say, well, this person obviously did their homework, they're asking all the right questions. What are some of those questions that they should be asking aside from uh, what you just mentioned? Anything else? Uh, yeah, I mean, again, what, you know, what, how did they get their money out of the fund? You know, is, is there a gate? You know, when we do have a 20% gate, in other words, if more than 20% of our investors wanted their money out one time, in order to protect everybody, we were able to stop that and not, and, and roll it into the next withdrawal period so that we can right. kind of do an orderly unwind. Sure. Kind of an important thing. So, you know, questions of that nature about the actual, looking closely at the terms, I would always want to make sure is that the principals, the, the, the people that run the fund, do they have their own money in the fund? Right. You know, and we do. You know, we started the fund pretty much entirely with principals' money. You know, the owners put our own money into get started, and we've been raising slowly raising money from outside investors. But that's so important because I wouldn't want to invest in a fund. Someone that's running it is not comfortable enough putting their own money in it. You know. Sure. You want them to have yeah, skin in the game yeah, as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So I would definitely always ask that question. Do you have your money in it and how much do you have as a percentage of the fund? You know, we have probably still in excess of 50% of the fund is our own money, right. the owners. So that'll hopefully probably lower over time as we continue to raise extra capital, but we'll always be in the fund. Right along with the investors. Yeah, right along side by side with the investors. Absolutely. Uh, one thing that's come up lately is uh, interest rates and interest rate risk and things like that um, as rates kind of have ticked up this year a little bit. Uh, I know there's not a big correlation between what we're lending at in the hard money space and what, you know, the broader economy's interest rates are. Do you want to talk about maybe that relationship and if you see that affecting what we're doing here? Yeah, absolutely. I do get that question a lot as well. And the the way I, partly I answer that is, you know, the way we look at it is we're, it's a kind of a spread business, right? We're looking to make a spread between where we're originating loans and where we're going to go out and then at some point sell out of the loans in the secondary market. So, 
you would think as long as we can maintain a spread on where we originate and where we're selling, you know, I, I think we're going to be good. And, and then to your point, I don't think, you know, the fixed flip space is all that sensitive to small moves in, in the interest rate market that, that you would on the, you know, bank and lending and conventional lending side. So I'm not overly concerned unless you get some really dramatic or, or drastic moves, I think. And in some ways, with rates increasing, it, our, our loans we're doing look better on a relative basis, even in a raising, rate, yeah, in a raising rate environment, I would say. Well, yeah, I find that interesting because, I mean, as um, you know, some of our borrowers listening know we're in from 9 to 12% on the hard money side, and we have a rental product at 7 to you know 9%. Yeah. And then you have conventional rates creeping up to 5%. Yes, so exactly. like, or over five percent. Yeah, yeah. Even, well, you know, and, I, spaces, yeah. and just speaking from a multifamily perspective, I know one of the metrics everybody looks at is the ten-year Treasury, which you kind of use to track where, where rates are going, and that's been creeping up um, mm -hmm. higher and higher. I think it's at three now almost, um, and so that's really put like compression on cap rates and stuff, and so it cr creates some uncertainty. But we really haven't felt that in the hard money space. Um, and to your point, it, it makes our loans look a little bit more attractive if rates generally are higher, but we, we're kind of in the same spot. Um, yeah, we're seeing compression in our rates a little bit in we're, a rising rate environment, which is a little odd, but it's right. because of all the money that's coming into the space. It was a very underserved market for a long time, but you're starting to get more efficiencies in, in this space with exactly. more and more money coming into it. So you're seeing compression, which is good for our borrowers. And as long as as a fund, we're, we're getting that lower pass through to the investors that are you know out there, then we're fine. And one thing I think we do a good job of is staying disciplined in terms of we make sure we have our, our good spreads and our good margins. And we don't, like we said earlier, we don't put borrowers in bad situations where we can just want to do a loan to do a loan and, you know, put them in a spot where we know that at best case scenario, they're going to make a very little bit of money. We've done a really good job, I think, of making sure our borrowers have good experiences and then we put them in the best position for success. Yeah, that's correct. And we try to be aggressive um, on the lending side to people that are, you know, much more experienced, have done a lot of these type of things where we're, you know, like Corey's saying, at 9% or 8, 8 and change even to our really experienced borrowers because we can then go out and sell them at a better pass-through rate out in the market. So it allows us, we're trying to, shit, you know, pass it through to our borrowers wherever we can. I don't know about you, Corey, but I can't tell you how many times we've had uh, borrowers from, name your national hard money lender that somewhere out in California, they maybe talk to a different uh, different person every single time they call them, they have a terrible experience and they end up coming to First Equity and they realize, well, not only are our rates just as competitive or better, but you know, there's a personal touch and they can build a relationship. And I think that goes a long way. And which is why I think we've been very successful because we have a lot of repeat clients who have had good experiences and want to do more deals with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think you're right, absolutely. Um, anything else? Uh, um, well, before we switch, I just wanted to switch gears into maybe in general other places of passive investing in real estate. But um, I know you mentioned I want to come back to like uh, investing in IRA into a fund. Like, I guess real briefly, how would, how would yeah, that work? Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's pretty. It's fairly easy. We've done. We've gotten approved. You, what you have to do is a lot of people's IRA um, provider. They may not allow you to self direct. So sometimes you have to take your money and roll it over into a. Uh, a, uh, a custodian that is able to self-direct the money for you. So I know one of the ones we use is Midland. There's a lot of them out there. If you just, you know, you, it's better to get it referred to someone so you know that they're a good, uh, you know, uh, custodian. Um, but you, yeah, you, you would roll your money into that. Um, you would get it approved. You tell them what the investment is, and then you could self-direct the money into our fund. I think it's a good option for a lot of people it, yeah. because they might not have that much cash liquid, but they have a big retirement account that they might be kind of weary of the stock market at this point, and they want to look for some other outlets. Sure. 
and they don't even know that they can do this with their their old 401ks rolled over to an IRA yeah. with an appropriate custodian, and you could be involved in uh, in this. You're absolutely right because a lot of people just don't even aren't even aware of this. Like one of my friends is a super you know pretty sophisticated guy working up on Wall Street at Deutsche Bank, and we're chatting about him investing. And I guess I didn't mention early on, but towards the end, like, he's thinking about it. And I, when I mentioned, you can, he's like, "Oh, I can put my IRA money in this." I, I didn't know that. And and once he figured that out, he's like, "Definitely, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be in on that." But he, a guy that would that's very sophisticated in, in a financial market, so was people just aren't aware of it. They just think it's like an education. They think they're stuck with bonds and mutual funds, and they yeah. don't know. Yeah, yeah I didn't. When I first found out, I found it really interesting that you could self direct into your own type of funds or real estate. You almost have to second guess it. Like, yeah, like, I can. Are you yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah but, it's uh, great. You I, absolutely it's can. such a good way to such a good vehicle to, to do if you can take advantage of it if you can. So that's a that's probably yeah. The, the only thing I should just say is you got to if it's four hundred one k or if it's some sort of defined contribution, it would have to be an older one that you're rolling over yeah, to an IRA, right? Yeah, it, that that gets a little tricky. We could potentially do it, but just be aware that that's not as sim as simple as IRA like a would traditional. Be the, would be IRA. the best case scenario. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay. IRA, yep. Um, um, anything else there, Corey? Not much. Uh, is there any limitation on like a Roth IRA? I know it's structured a little bit different in terms of taxes. No, you can do Roth IRA. Thing. You can sell it. Change much? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, I tell everybody to talk to their accountant and make course, sure you know yeah. I can't give them advice as to right. exactly. But yes, you, you can do uh, Roth IRAs. Yeah, yep, exactly. Um, if somebody is interested in in the first equity fund in particular, what's a good way for them to contact you? Yeah, they could probably just reach out to me directly. Um, you know, call call the office here uh, and ask for me at you know the, the, the regular line seven three two three five nine seven eight zero zero. I'm on extension two two five, or just send me an email. Um, Okay. And I don't know if you guys post this. We will. We'll post it on the screen. Yeah, yeah. So if anybody's watching and if they want to reach out, um, they could also reach out through you guys, and you guys can put them in touch with sure. the people that you you guys have a relationship with. Okay. But, um, um, well, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. And, thanks, uh, guys. It was a lot of fun. I finally it's made a nice time to get on the podcast. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. It was fun having this discussion. All right. I guess we're out. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.